your story is your power. It's never too far gone for as long as you're breathing. Once if you just push past that little barrier, we don't know what your capacity is, what our potential is. So always know that that is always more in the tank. The self-doubt goes away when you're becoming a master of your craft and also a believer in your own process. Like you just touched on, there's, there's no set way. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy, and fulfillment along the way. Hello, lovely neighborhood, and welcome back to another guest episode in a row this week. We skipped our Yays of Our Lives episode to squeeze this one in because we were so excited to have this wonderful guest on the show. So we'll be back next week with the typical chaos that always ensues when Ange is involved. But for this week, I'm so excited to have Nick Afoa here on the show. You might have seen a couple of weeks ago, Ange and I went on a little CCA date night to see the incredible new production of Miss Saigon that has absolutely taken Australia by storm. Either you will have seen it and you will have been as blown away by it as we were. I cried. I laughed. The music just transported me away. Or if you haven't seen it, you've probably heard someone in your network rave about it. It's been an absolute raging success. And Nick is one of the lead roles in this year's cast. So that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to have Nick on the show because we loved the production so much and just wanted to hear about the behind the scenes of what it takes to actually bring that together and what the day-to-day of a career in musical theatre actually looks like, but even more so because you guys know I love a way TA that takes twists and turns you would never expect. And Nick Afoa actually began not just as your average rugby player. I mean, many people play rugby in their younger years, but he went on to become part of the under-19 World Cup team in South Africa, where he actually won that tournament. So well and truly on the path to success in an incredible sporting career with a bright future ahead. So how does one then end up making their theatre debut as Simba in The Lion King, not just in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and Perth, but then moving on to spend five years playing the coveted role in London's West End. Nick tells the story far better than I ever could myself, so I'll hand it over to him to connect all the dots that eventually make sense in his wonderful Parthier. He's such a warm and interesting person. We go down so many tangents. It was such an enjoyable episode. I hope you guys like it as much as I did. We recorded some amazing video as well, but sadly, it just didn't say. I mean, the joys of technology these days, but the audio is wonderful. So I hope you guys enjoy. Nick, welcome to Seize the Yay. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to have you on the show, particularly having watched your recent performance. I'm fangirling even harder, but I think you're definitely the first New Zealand tenor and former New Zealand age grade rugby union footballer that we've ever had on the show. I mean, what a combination. I know, right? Just hearing you say that takes me back many, many years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is why I'm so excited to have you on because the main crux of this show is the idea that, you know, you might find one life pathway and at the time it feels like it's your be all and end all and mm. you think you've found your joy and like tick the boxes, I'm going to live a happy life. But you can end up in something completely different that you never expected and like some of the most beautiful pathways do have massive pivots and twists and turns like that. So I would love to go through the journey of how you got to where you are. But first, we always break the ice with a little question just to ask what the most down-to-earth thing is about you because both of those titles are pretty impressive. Oh, what's the most down-to-earth thing about me? I keep things quite simple these days. I, I, I love <laughs> coming home and spending time with my family and I, I love fishing. I love nature. Since I've been in Melbourne, I've had to give that a bit of a miss. So, <laughs> you know, I, I walked past the Albert Lake, was staying about five minutes from the lake, and I, I saw the no fishing sign. So don't worry, I'm not going to pull out any fish from the lake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure they'd be worth pulling out if they were surviving in that lake. Yeah. It's a beautiful lake to look at, yeah. but I don't know if it's fishing worthy. 
Oh, I love that. I think it's so easy to read someone's Wikipedia or meet them at a chapter that you're in right now where there's so much shiny performances and awards and like, you know, like World Cups and just forget that you're actually also just a human being who does normal things and who has, I'm sure, lots of quirks and weird habits as well, which (laughs) I hope to unearth during this chat. You probably will. But let's go back to the very beginning because I think one of the most sort of interesting things that doesn't come up as much when you're an adult is to trace back to who you were as a kid. Like Mm. now people will be asking you all about Miss Saigon and all about Broadway and forgetting that you were, you know, a little child who once had no idea where he'd end up. Mm. So New Zealand born, but I read Samoan and Croatian heritage. Yes. Tell us about that. (laughs) How fascinating. Yeah. So when people ask me sort of where I'm from, I, I... it stumps me to this day because I always feel like I need to be honest about all of who I am. And I think sometimes from the outset, it can look like, oh, this guy's a Pacific guy or he's a Maori guy or he's a Samoan guy. But I, I, you know, I was born and raised in Aotearoa, New Zealand. My dad is a Samoan, born Samoan. My mum is a third generation Croatian Kiwi. Yeah, it sounds like a big, you know. A big fruit salad, ethnicities. <laughs> a big spread. You, you're ticking a lot of boxes. <laughs> yeah, and I grew up in South Auckland, which is at the north in the North Island of New Zealand. And uh, I was more probably connected more so to my Samoan side growing up, because you know uh, Pacific ethnicities make up probably about eighty-five to ninety percent of South Auckland. Connecting to my Croatian side, which is my mother's line really only happened in the last few years, to be honest. And that happened when I went on a huge trip to London when I was on the West End. And then I decided to take a trip to Croatia and I found family there. And I could actually come <gasps> home and tell my, not just my mum, but my nana, who also was had never been back home. It was my great, my great grandparents came on, a grandfather came on a ship in the 50s. And so I found family there and I could come home and bring photos and show them so for them to connect those pieces um, to that part of them as well as me uh, is pretty special. So, oh yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that part alone, that's like the very first dot point. And I feel like it's so interesting because I'm sure people would assume very quickly that you're Maori and that, mm. you know, the Kiwi accent is such an easy <laughs> assumption. But that that whole landscape of identity fascinates me because that kind of is the patchwork of, you know, where you start from. True. But I also think it's so cool that you've already mentioned the West End, but when I look at sort of your early school years, it was – Schools in New Zealand and then pretty much going straight into sport, like club rugby and then really accelerating in that pathway. So being selected for like Junior World Cup teams and then Mm. winning the Junior World Cup and going to South Africa. And Mm. for a young person, like that's a very accelerated, successful pathway. And especially I think a lot of young people grow up thinking, especially young boys, that they want to be a sports person, but not many people actually get to do it as a career. So did you, at that time of your life, think that your pathway was going to be sport? I wanted it to be. I deeply wanted it to be. And like you just mentioned, I mean, I have really supportive parents who, you know, see, see the seeds in your kids and what are sprouting, and they saw that I was sporty as well as artistic. But um, because of the time, I, I don't think they saw a pathway in the arts. So my dad encouraged me a lot in my sports, even though he said, son, you've got to get an education. But I, you know, young boy in New Zealand who had the All Blacks team to look up to and other, <laughs> other, other role models who were doing it, they were also Pacific as well. It was, it was all I saw. And, you know, even to a point where I ignored the other advice from dad that I needed backup. So I, I got into rep teams quite young, you know, 14, 15, I was making Auckland rep teams and it starts to inspire you and you kind of feel like you're getting closer and, yeah, I, I, I got into a, quite a good school for a sports scholarship. Oh, amazing. Yeah, it was it was all looking like that was the trajectory. But, um, you know, I, things happened and I got an injury in my early 20s. And, and then, like you said, that's when I needed to pivot because it didn't happen. It didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen. And it's funny that I think a lot of the time it's out of adversity or something that feels like the end of your world at the time, like getting a torn ACL as a sports person is like, Mm. oh, my God, I've never imagined another future for myself. But without that happening, like would you have ever pursued 
the thing that you really love now? Maybe not. And I love those sliding doors moments. So how did you go from envisioning your entire life in this one career and like all your metrics are measured based on like rugby Mm. metrics and World Cups and getting into a good team and building a career to then that just gets cut short, but, you know, your world's over. What's the process of finding a new pathway? Well, it is a process. It's <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't happen overnight, even no, though it seems that way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, think, I do think a lot of people think, oh, well, it was an overnight thing. Like you just went from rugby back to the arts or, you know, went on that pathway. But I think hindsight's a beautiful thing, right? Like I can look back now and I can see that I don't even know, even if I didn't get injured, I don't even know if I would have made it. I realized why I deeply loved rugby and it was the community, it was camaraderie, it was friendships, friendships from on which I still have now. You know, some of some of my mates went on to play, you know, for the Wallabies, for All Blacks, and we're still friends to this day. And even before I got into the arts, straight after I got injured, I was like, you know, there was about a year or two of down in the dumps and what the heck am I going to do? And I... For someone who wasn't didn't get the best marks at school, I actually decided, okay, I was 20 years old at this time and I was old enough to get into university. I didn't have the school marks to get in, but because I was 20, I got mature entry. And I just all of a sudden was like, I want to study. And I did a social sciences degree. And um, that actually made my dad prouder. <laughs> than the rugby? Than the rugby, you know? <laughs> I think it's a it's a big thing for um, you know migrant parents you know who come to the colony that they're like you got to get an education and that's you know my dad came here when the to New Zealand in the sixties as a twelve year old with no word of English and you know he was my role model in terms of that and I I always had it in the back of my mind like okay if my dad can do it then I can go to university and, and a three year degree took me four but I, I got there it, I got a job straight away as a youth counsellor and I loved it. Like, I wasn't paid as much as a professional sports person, but um, I truly felt like I was stepping into my shoes as who who I was. So I was like, oh, this is who you are. And I got to work in schools where I grew up, and I got to impart knowledge into kids who were just like me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, know, had wanted to do some things, but just needed a bit more of a snapshot of opportunities and, and possibilities. And I did that for four years. It wasn't until 26, 27 that I actually stepped into an audition room. Wow. Yeah, it was a late bloomer in terms of theatre. You know, I had a really unorthodox journey into it. And it wasn't theatre that pulled me in. It was the story of The Lion King, which was my my favourite movie of all time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is where we get along, right? (laughs) When my baby is born, we are doing the... Yeah, like that's happening. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, we did it too. We still do it. Oh, of course you did. You gotta send me the video so I can get some inspo. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had a connection to that storyline and I had a had friends who were in the original show in two thousand and three. And so I was at another pivot point. I'd done four years working as a school counselor and I had this thing in me, I was like, Nick, you what there's something else. There's something else. There was the rugby and you, you had these seeds of being a singer and an, and an artsy person as a kid, but what are you going to do with it? And so The Lion King is one of the only shows in the world where the, on the briefing for the audition, it says no previous experience required. Wow. There's not many shows out there that do that. It's, it's why I think that there's theatre and then there's The Lion King. It's, it's in a sort of a different realm because they find people around the world who can fit into that mold of the story that they want to tell. And, um, yeah, I stepped into this audition room and it was, yeah, it was an experience I'll never, never forget. And it was another experience of this makes sense to me. This world makes sense to me. And because I was already immersed in the world of, you know, youth development, I kind of, even though I didn't study acting from a human perspective, I could understand the story and I'm like this is a 10 year old child who's run away because his father's been killed and his uncle told him that it's his fault like you imagine that in a real life setting like that is some some pretty heavy stuff you know and and I was sitting in the once I had gotten the role and and in the rehearsal process and I was like well I can 
can really bring human perspectives to the story. And I, I really enjoyed that. And I think that's my process for everything that I've done so far. Not that I've done many shows. <laughs> I've, only done, I've only done The Lion King and then a show back home and then now now I'm a Saigon. I love that you use the word only for like the biggest <laughs> production in the entire universe <laughs> at the actual home place of like London's West End. There is nowhere better that you could be on stage. And I think you've brought up so many things there, but particularly the fact that there are unorthodox ways to get into a career because I think a lot of people assume like, oh, I'm too old or it's impossible because I didn't study acting or I don't have connections. You know, I think you're a wonderful and inspiring example that you can come into something late and it's maybe not the most common way that people do it, but it's possible to not have a whole musical past for your entire life and still your first role it wasn't just like a meerkat in the background. <laughs> it was Simba. Like, guys, yeah. come on. Nick is being so humble here, but his theatre debut was as Simba in The Lion King. And that's, I just think it's, people will take chances on a newcomer and don't like rule yourself out just because you don't think you have what it, you know, the background that you need. Definitely. It's crazy that I could still use, even though I couldn't play rugby anymore. The athleticism was something that I could still bring to this young adolescent lion, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think one of the big things about the fact that our lives unravel in chapters and that your three kind of broad chapters have been very different to each other is the self-doubt when you're a newbie, like when you've just started and you don't have the backup of, you know, a degree and a million different qualifications in that area. Plus the fact that for a very sporty dude, theatre is often not the most logical step that comes next. Did you have any of either doubt from externally, like people sort of being like, oh, my God, you're in musical theatre, or yourself doubting that you'd be able to? Like it's hugely nerve-wracking to go to any audition, let alone for Simba in The Lion King. What do you do in your brain to quell the sort of fear or doubt? That's a good question because... The self-doubt actually never goes away. Yes. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I'm 37, you know, and you think, you know, back then you think, okay, in about 10 years I'll master it and I'll, I'll never have that doubt again. But you get better at managing it. To answer your question, I think I was always, I had that label of like the guy who could play rugby and could sing. So that my mates were, you know, I, I got the, the low-key you know, digs from them like, oh, you're dancing on stage, you know? <laughs> show, show us a cartwheel. But like, it's like... <laughs> Where's your lycra? <laughs> and I did get ballet shoes too. Stop it! Did you yes, really? I did. I did. I had to change a lot of things in, in the way I trained, you know? My dance captain, when I first joined, they're like, yeah, you, you look the part, but you can't move like we need you to. So, <laughs> you know, you're going to ballet classes, you're learning how to pirouette, you know, you got to you got to raise in it. It's... But anyway, I... Um, the self-doubt goes away when you – it's preparation, right? You would have heard, heard this before, just becoming a master, becoming a master of your craft and also a believer in your own process. Like you just touched on, there's, there's no set way, you know? I mean, and I kind of – I still do that. I go, Nick, you've done this before and you know you have a process and it works. So believe in that. And I know for a fact when I have the most self-doubt, it's when I haven't prepared. It's when I haven't, you know, sat down and gone, and may maybe I'm jumping a bit forward now into to my Saigon. I don't know if I, if you want me to move that forward. But oh, maybe I'll go I'll wherever you like. My brain's a mess, yeah. so it, it suits me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I struggled at first when I, I got the role because when I stepped inside this room and I was pulled in once again into a story through a song, we die, which I just was like, this, what a powerful song. And then I get given the role and it's like, now you've got to play the character, Nick. And it was huge responsibility for me because obviously seeing that it was, it was a true story and then also, you know, the cause and the purpose that this guy John has after the fall and, and what happens in his transformation. And I'm going, man, what am I, how am I going to bring this guy to life and how is he going to be authentic to me, but also true to what the creatives want it to be. And I really had to have that same uh, process that I did with Simba. I had to go, who was he? How does he make sense to me? And uh, and I had, when I researched, the more that I researched, I actually found out because this is what I found uncomfortable. We were in the rehearsal room in week one, 
and Nigel Huckle, who's my my beloved best mate on stage and also an awesome guy off stage. He said to me, he goes, hey, um, what ethnicity are you playing? And I was like, oh, big question. And it was a great question. And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes, he's American. But but he could be any any ethnicity, right? Yeah, of course. And I'm like, well, I, I don't know how I feel about playing an African-American. I don't know how I feel about playing an, a Hispanic person, like in terms of authenticity. And then I researched and I found out that there were so many Pacific people that served in the war. Not just they for America, and it actually took me into a part of my history that I didn't know. Samoans and Pacific people have been migrating to America since the sixties, and it's the same story again. The same way that my dad wanted me to go to university when I got to New Zealand, you know, Pacific people in America are like, "You're joining the army, son. You're joining the army. It's assimilation. How are we going to be accepted into this place? You join the army," and so that was my in into finding a, a purposeful job. I love that. It, it, was, it was a beautiful process for me. And I'm, I'm glad that Nigel asked me that question in that room. And you know what? People watching the show won't know that, but it was, it helped me. It helped me go, okay, this is, this is who he's going to be. And even bringing values that are deep down, even though he does some crazy things in that first act, <laughs> you know, it's like. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay. You are this person, but wars brought this out of you because it can do that to the best of people. And then he, he comes around in the second act to not a new person. He comes around to who he always was. And that, that's my take on it. So I, I know you just asked me a question and I went, I waffled. <laughs> oh, no, we love a tangent. I should just call this show The Tangent Show. It's, <laughs> it's my absolute favourite. <laughs> but it's also, it gives such a, an amazing insight. So why I feel so privileged to have a show that's not limited to one industry is I get to speak to people and share with the audience, like communities that they, if you don't know someone in musical theatre, you have no idea how someone prepares for a role. You have no idea. Like you just see the, the finished product and it's the behind the scenes that I find so interesting because you just don't know that unless you are a fly on the wall. So I think it's fascinating to hear that you do historical research, you do decide what your backstory is, even if no one ever knows what you've chosen. That's what comes through as powerful in your performance, even if we don't know that. So going back to first entering this world, when you first became Simba, I think a lot of people have said, I mean, millions of people around the world have seen The Lion King. I've seen it like four times in three different countries because it's just one of the most magnificent shows that has ever come to the stage, particularly because you don't think that animals on stage would work, but it's it's wild. Mm. But I don't know anything about the behind the scenes, particularly not if you had come into performance without having done singing coaching and dancing coaching. So what is the process from your first audition get the role and then be on stage? Do you do like months, years of classes? Do you rehearse on your own? Like how do you go from zero to hero basically? Ooh. For me, how it worked was when they cast that role, the Simba and Nala role, I think they, when they find the person that they want, it's almost like they don't want to mess with what they find in the rehearsal room. That's so cool. I know it is, and it's it's quite. What's the word I'm looking for? It's um, it's confronting in a way because well, here's what happened for me, and it's I'll I'll share it. Like uh, I stepped into this room, and the song that I had to sing was "Endless Night," which is Simba's song, and he's singing it to his father, who's who's passed away. Oh shit! <laughs> oh. <laughs> Get a bit emotional. Oh my gosh! And I'll tell you why because I told told you before that I, I had a, have an eighteen year old son, and um, you know our history is, is quite a, a special history. I, I was eighteen when he was born, and I was uh, I was a father who was not in his life. This is true. This is raw facts. You know, I was a runaway father. I stepped into this room, and the, the director um, he pulled me aside after I sang the song, and he said, and I, I hadn't met my son at this age. I was in touch with his mother and, you know, he knew who I was through a long distance conversations because he was in South Africa. Anyway, the director pulled me aside and he says, you sound pretty. It's great, but I don't believe you. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. He said, you've got a great voice, but I don't believe you. Uh, and he told me a story about his dad and he said, I can't remember the exact facts, but he, he told me a story about 
his dad being on his deathbed and the things that his father had said to him that he had wanted to say to him his whole life. And it sort of brought a peace to their relationship. And then his father passed away. And then he said, okay, we're going to go back in that room and you're just going to be real and raw. I don't care how you sound. You sound great. Wow. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought I did it right the first time. <laughs> I thought I did my best. I know. I know. And I walked back in that room and the pianist played the first chords and I couldn't sing. I could not get the words out. And they were behind the panel and they were saying, keep going, keep going. And I, I was singing the lyrics, but as I was singing them, I was I was a mess. I was like, oh my gosh, this is not good. Yeah. I'm having a mentee bee, guys. <laughs> Soz. Just bear with me. <laughs> and the first lyrics to that song are, where has the starlight gone? Dark is the day. How can I find my way home? And then the chorus said, you promised you'd be there whenever I needed you. Whenever I call your name, you're not anywhere. And uh, I finished the song. It was a mess technically. And I thought I'd stuffed it up. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, bye. I'll see myself out. <laughs> I came to, it was like a moment where I came back and the song had finished and they were just quiet and they said, what was going on for you there? And I was like, it was a moment where you just felt like, okay, I just had done this. So I'm going to tell them, I don't know these people. And I just said to them, look, I don't know what happened, but I have a son who's nine years old that I'd never met. And I felt like he was singing to me, where am I? So my long story is me being in The Lion King was actually never about me being in the show because that spurred me to want to own my shit and find him and um, do what's right, you know? So I came and I did, I did the Aussie tour and I, long story short, I ended up meeting him through the grace of, of his mother who I didn't deserve a second chance, but she gave me a chance and I came and he's here. He's downstairs. He's he's chilling out right now. <laughs> he's, I'm gonna, Stop I'm it! I'm upstairs in his room. I'm doing <gasps> this now. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's the most beautiful story. So, yeah, you asked me about my process, and and that's why I want to encourage people. You know, it's your story is power is your power. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's never too far gone for as long as you're breathing. You know, and so. Far, I'm glad. I'm just, I'm just happy that. It's, I mean, that's why you asked me what am I down to earth. I'm like my family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After everything that happened, it's just the most um, important thing to me. I proudly share that. So I know it's quite a heavy topic, but it's a happy ending. It's got a happy ending to it. It's a beautiful story as well because I think. It is a reminder that, you know, it did take nine years and that's okay. Like, you know, people need time and it takes a catalyst. Like it takes an experience or a conversation or something to trigger a, a different choice. But I think people forget they have choices. Like they often just assume it's too late for whatever reason. It's too late for a relationship. It's too late for a career. It's too late for a first, you know, try at something and you're right until you're not breathing it's never too really what what's too late who's to say what's late and what's early like maybe that was the perfect time maybe nine years earlier you wouldn't have brought to the relationship what you wanted to and I think it's it's so beautiful that it came from this whole new chapter for you to realize in a totally different area of your life that you wanted to do something differently that's magical and that now 10 years later like you have this beautiful relationship you live together yeah <laughs> yeah that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. And that it took The Lion King. I mean, if anyone needed proof that The Lion King is the best show in the world, <laughs> it's just, it's bonding families all over the place, you know? <laughs> yeah, that is, that is. That really is. But I also love that, again, it comes back to people self-selecting themselves out of opportunities because they assume that it's going to be a technical audition. They assume that no one would give you a chance based on a technically not perfect audition that's emotionally, like you never know what someone's looking for. And on that day, it was what you had, not what someone technically perfect had. Mm. So how did you go from that to the West End? What? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? That's the pinnacle. <laughs> like that's 10 years is a short time for the, the career that you've had. So how did you go from that that newcomer with raw emotion into I'm going to do it in the home of Broadway? 
this is how it happened. We were finishing up in Perth. That was the last leg of the Aussie tour. And the creatives from New York were, were like, hey, um, our Simba in the West End is leaving. We want you to take over the role. <laughs> how do you feel about that? And I'm like, what's the West End? I <laughs> <laughs> And I mean like, Perth. I mean that's West. Like, is that what you mean? <laughs> so ignorant, so ignorant to to it all, and it's um, bless. That's even cuter <laughs> that you were like, where, where is that? <laughs> Your funny story when I got they cast me. I said yes to the role, obviously, and then uh, I was looking for accommodation, and I was looking in the west of London because I thought West End meant that the theatres were in West London. And oh the producers, they were like, why are you staying so far away? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? They're like, no, no, it's just called West End, but it's in, it's in central London. I'm like, oh, shucks. <laughs> wow. I mean, real newbie vibes. <laughs> I love it. Vibes. <laughs> oh, it was special. It was special. I, mean, I got to experience another cast and another family of Lion King. And I got to take my Aussie Pacific version and take it there and – they embraced it and and you know it was it was huge it was a huge chapter of my life i thought it was going to be one year and it ended up being five almost wow yeah oh my gosh i mean congratulations that is gigantic not only did you not kind of seek out this opportunity at the top of the ladder you just kind of were given it like we love you so much here have it <laughs> you don't even know where it is but let's take you there <laughs> But also I think another thing about industries that people as a sort of spectator, you go and see the show, you get you buy your tickets, you go and sit in the theatre and you get wowed. But forgetting that, you know, I think because you guys perform often at night and then maybe a few matinees, people don't know what you do during the day in your job. Yeah. So during that time, are you rehearsing all day, every day? Is it a combination of like voice classes with dance classes? You slipped very easily into an American accent just before. Do you do accent training? Like, how do you spend the day? You know, it's your job, but it's not conventional. So, what do your hours look like? The hours, it's a, like it's like you said, it's a combination of things. I mean, you gotta, you know, we're doing this thing eight times a week. Oh my gosh! Yeah. How does your voice keep up with that? Yeah, it's you gotta you gotta get on it. You know, it's and that's an, the other thing. You know, with even though I liked to sing, it's it's my parents were always like, you've got to practice, son. Like natural talent is not gonna get you through. Mm. You need to, you know, you need to master your your crafts. And so I like I had to stop lifting weights the way I did when I was playing rugby. I had to go Pilates classes, yoga classes, you know, which, which I still do. <laughs> yeah, ballet, voice classes, and then rest on top of that. And then at the same time trying to detach yourself so you're not playing the character off stage. <laughs> and it's not You're just good. simba to everybody. <laughs> why is he walking on all fours around the house? <laughs> why did he, he roar at me? Far out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um so it's a combination of of all of that. Do you get weekends off during the daytime? Like do you have a structured set of training and classes? And rehearsals? On the double show days, it's like forget it. You're waking up and you're going to work. But you try and really try and plan the, your days of filling things on on the evening show days. So Wednesday, I mean, back when I was in the West End, it was a four-show weekend, so two Saturday, two Sunday. <gasps> yeah. But then you'd get Monday and Tuesday off. So you'd have to try and use those wisely. Um, and then you'd come back to a double show on the Wednesday. But then Thursday and Friday are a day off, so you could kind of use those days as well. Do you not talk on those days to give your like voice a rest? Does it actually wear out or do you just develop the endurance? It wears out. But sometimes I'll be that person at the bar if, if the, there's music playing. I'll be like, can we go somewhere else because I have to raise my voice. <laughs> it's too loud. <laughs> if your friends think you're a bit of a diva, it's like, oh, let's go. Listen, <laughs> let's not invite Nick because he's going to want to go to <laughs> Good or quiet. Um, in case you guys don't know, I'm like famous <laughs> and my voice is like very important. But it's true. It's your craft. You yeah. need it. <laughs> but you don't foresee those things. You just think, you know, you go to work and come home. But I mean, every time I'm sure your voice gets tired after doing a lot of podcasts, you know, every time you're you're opening your mouth, you're using those those vocal cords that are coming together and they, they tire out. Yeah, totally. So what about things like, I mean, having... I'm sure it's quite unusual to have only done 
two major roles and to have done them so exhaustively. But even swapping from one show to a completely different show and also back in a different country, different writers, different scores, different makeup, different costumes. And like you said, you had to reformulate your interpretation of John. So now you're back here in you know the incredible production of Miss Saigon, as we've mentioned, playing the role of John. How do you shift out of one show and go into another? Because the other thing about your industry is that like in between, is there dead time? Are you just, are you re-auditioning or do you usually have one thing lined up before you go to the next show and then you switch off Simba and turn on John? Like how does that all work? Mm, for me, it's ha- the, the breaks in between have happened quite naturally. In an ideal world for theatre people that do it and have done it for a long time, you know, there's role after role just lined up. I'm about to experience that for the first time because I'm about to be in another show called Rent. <gasps> yeah, I, I landed Amazing. it. Amazing. Yeah, thank you. I landed it a couple of months ago. We were actually in our opening of Sydney and I auditioned on the opening week. And so I got the role and it was, it was crazy. So I'm like, okay, and it's the role of Collins and Rent. So I'm sort of like it's parking that in my brain at the same time. I'm immersing myself in John. But anyway, we open soon and I get three weeks break from John and to Collins. So that's this is a first for me. I'm actually going through it right now. Um, my wife is actually in the show as well, and we're kind of... <gasps> yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, so we're both sort of navigating how we're going to do it with a babysitter and then, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and getting into, into our characters. And I can't actually give you... Like, a, a, We'll, we'll talk in the, in a few months' time and <laughs> yeah, see yeah. how that went. <laughs> yeah. But it's the same same sort of process of, I mean, I've, my friend's given me some documentaries to watch and that's what I did for, obviously, for Miss Saigon as well. And you kind of just, you do the pre-research, you know, before you get to rehearsal and then you arrive to rehearsal and then the creative sort of guide you into where they see the story and you just slowly piece things together. And then it's getting on stage and then it's feeling it and then it's how you're moving and how is the, the movement affecting, you know, the way you deliver your scene partners, you know, what are they bringing out in you? It kind of just, kind of just happens. So cool. So cool. It's just a cool. big, big old process. Yeah. What about some of the sort of behind the scenes surprises in, particularly in Miss Saigon, just because there'll be people listening who have just seen it or about to see it. Like, have you ever had like a moment where you've forgotten your lines or because it's not like TV where people have to remember scripts, but they mm. can kind of like edit it out if you just have a brain fart. You, you're on stage if this happens to you. So have you ever forgotten your lines or like had a wardrobe malfunction or like what happens when props don't work? Like what are some of the things that surprised you when you come to a production like this? Like the helicopter scenes, like that's what the hell? Like how? Do, what do you mean? <laughs> I know, right? It's... Yeah, it's, it's crazy. That, I think that's one of the biggest surprises that people see, right, is the helicopter. There's so much going on in the show. And so there are things that constantly go, not wrong, I wouldn't say wrong, they're just, this is a show that's all music. There's not much dialogue. So the beautiful music plays the biggest part. It's the backbone. It's, um, it's really percussive, especially my role, John, he's got a lot of, small little parts where he's got to come in and and communicate and then it's got to be on beat but the, the audience won't necessarily know that but I'm constantly like connecting with the conductor because it's got to be it's got to be on the other night I, I made a mistake what happened I was in the second act I came on stage the engineer who was on for that night threw me something and this is about being present as well like sometimes um, a couple will come on and play the role and they'll bring their own unique, beautiful version of it. And you got to, and he threw me something. It was a beautiful choice. And I was like, <laughs> and it, because it was so, it had already moved, I'd missed my line. Oh no. And, yeah, I'd missed my line. And then he jumped in, he jumped in and, and saved me. But that brought out something quite nice in, in, in the moment. Yeah. And, we, and it kind of like fires you up. You come off stage and you're like, man, thanks for that, man. He's like, yeah, it was cool. <laughs> Something the other night, uh, the ta- even the Tams, like the Tams, sometimes you just sit there and you watch the kids just be, I mean, it's a lot. The show is a lot for, for the for young kids, but I, I admire the the fearlessness. They just stand there and they be, and they kind of can sometimes give you a 
good acting lesson. <laughs> just <laughs> like be, just be. Don't don't try. Just be in the moment, you know. And there's this cheeky cheeky Tam and um, Sydney's <laughs> left now. And I do this thing sometimes where John comes back and he gives Tam a little fist bump. There was one Tam who would just stand there when I kneel down and give him a fist bump, and he'd stand there and he'd be like, <laughs> he wouldn't. <laughs> He wouldn't do it back. Oh my god, what a rascal! <laughs> nah, you but haven't earned it. Even, exactly, I'm like, that's your choice. That's cool. I'm a stranger. You, you don't have to fist bump me. Stranger danger. <laughs> like, that's smart. That's street safe. Well done. <laughs> I could go on. There's so many things that happen that, um, you know, either just happen or things that we do to, to keep each other lights as well. It's a heavy show. It's a heavy show. Sometimes those things happen off stage. We do them to just to keep the just keep the vibe up, and then we can go on and do the heavy stuff, but keep it light off stage. Yeah, it's crazy how like especially if it's your second show in the day, like the audience doesn't know for them it's their first, and so it's amazing that you guys can bring that same energy again, even though it's exactly the same as what you have literally just done. <laughs> I used to be a ballerina and people would always say, like, you just did this, this exact same thing. How do you enjoy it? And I'm like, that's when you know that you love what you do. When as soon as the music comes on, it just, you're there. And I could do it a million times and never get bored. It's not one of those normal jobs where you're sort of like, what am I going to do for dinner tonight? Like, you, you you can't think about that stuff, you know, while you're singing. Or do you? Like, do you? Do you ever tune out? Sometimes it happens. <laughs> 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 Where am I? Oh, I'm on stage. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it's not that you're not enjoying it. It's just, I mean, you're a human, right? And it's and, like autopilot. <laughs> yeah, and you'd like to say you're the actor that doesn't switch off, but I mean, there's been moments, and I, that's the beautiful thing of just being there for your scene partner. Because sometimes it happens for them, and you can see it happen, and you, you know. <laughs> you're like, oh, you're gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of of, of like theatre, right? Have you ever needed to like pee in the middle of a show, or like <laughs> like do you eat before you perform? Like, how do you manage your like digestion? <laughs> do you know what? Before I say that, last night on stage, and I need to find out when I go back to work today, someone did the biggest fart that I, the smelliest fart <laughs> I ever, ever smelled, okay? And no on one- On stage? On stage. On stage, <gasps> in, in, the, in, the, in the scene, in the Dreamland scene, and I'm at the bar after, like, who did that? Who did that? And <laughs> you see, I used it in the scene. And it, um, yeah, no one owned up. I mean, if you've got to go, you got to, I mean, what are you going to do? you got to go. But it's great. I think the other night was at the end of the show um, and the final, final scene in the dressing room and I needed to sneeze. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to ruin the end, but the ending is about to happen <laughs> when Kim and Chris are together. And I'm like, if I sneeze, everyone is going to look this way. Yeah. <laughs> but I did not. I, I held it back. It's crazy what you, off stage, I'll never be able to hold off a sneeze. You always have to sneeze, but it just I just held it and there was like snot coming down, but no one, yeah. no one You're just like <laughs> No one would see me. Pretend I'm crying. But. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just snotty because I'm emotional, okay. See, that's even something that we don't think about. That you guys are on stage for a really long time. And like if you need a pee, it's like do you like you can't drink five liters before you go on because like you're gonna need to go. Like, <laughs> logistics. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh well i have ha actually quite a few friends who have seen it twice they've loved it so much so i'll definitely include all the links to miss saigon to everyone and then of course rent which is so exciting but i would also love to know i think we do spend a lot of time like most of us introduce ourselves by our name and our job not like anything else about our personality it's just like i am my work but i think what you do when you play and have downtime or how you choose to spend your voluntary time is just as informative about who you are as the things that you do for your kind of like, you know, your profession. So how do you play when you have time off? Does it have to be something that's completely separate to musical theatre? Like I think some people have to do something completely opposite. And yeah, what are your favorite? Do you binge Netflix? Like, what do you do in your spare time? Right now, we're actually watching. Oh my gosh, you know, Fresh. We were Fresh Prince of Fresh Prince oh. from back in the day. You know, like oh yeah, yeah. So watching the new version on Netflix, I I didn't want to give it a chance because I was like, nah, there's nothing that can that can beat. Oh, but it's quite. It's really good. Oh, 
<laughs> yeah, I'm like you. I'm like, I nothing will ever replace the old version. <laughs> yeah. Don't even try. Yeah, I know. But anyway, I mean, we do like to separate it. But because we're, I mean, wifey's artsy, my son makes music, Ketu, my daughter is already, you know, singing and dancing. So She's like one and a half. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, she's screeching <laughs> and she loves to dance and move. And so I think, yeah, just artistic expression is sort of always happening in our house in some way, you know, because it's the first time for, for me and, and my wife with our daughter. It's it's new. It's, it's it's really new. So we're trying to create, I don't know, an environment of, of that while also being on the road. Like we're touring with our family. That's another thing right now. It's like, whoa, okay, babe, we wanted this, but hey, do we really? Yeah, want that's it? rough. You're living out of suitcase. There's four of you. Literally, literally. So how long have you? When did you leave New Zealand? Uh shucks, July. Oh my god, you've been out of home since. Oh my god, for the whole show, you're. Like, oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, yeah. July, went to Sydney, then came here. And the, the tour is happening in Asia too, but we, we decided not to do it. But then rent came up, so... Is rent here? Rent is here. Oh, my gosh. So are you going back home in between? Yeah, we'll go home. We'll get a three-week uh, three break. Oh, that's right. So I'm looking forward to that because my family, my sisters, mum and dad, haven't seen Baba in a while. So they're missing her. And um, we'll go back to our house to see if, yeah, if it's still standing. If it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot that put so much pressure on just like it's hard to live not in your own bed and not in your own home, but then to do it with kids, like that's an enormous challenge, but amazing that you get to do it together. Do you ever play rugby now? Do you ever like miss it or watch it or play for fun or not? I try. I try to keep <laughs> up with my son. He's sportier. I think he's sportier and faster and more ed- like athletic than I actually was. And I think I've, I'm kidding myself that I can keep up with him. I don't want him to hear yeah. that. I don't want him to hear that. <laughs> yeah, no, I looked you. You just looked so scared. You're like, oh, shit. <laughs> I remember the day that I, I beat my dad in the arm wrestle too. I think I was like 14, 15. No, 14. And he's like, you can stay up the day that you beat me in an arm wrestle. And I beat him. Oh, my God. <laughs> so it's, I, it's still a core memory for you. <laughs> so oh, my I, gosh. It's still a part of my life. I mean, back home, when I'm if I'm not doing theatre I'm still involved like I do emceeing at, at the games and I sometimes sing the anthem I saw that yeah what a full circle full circle I look to the side of me and there's guys about to that I used to play with about to go and play and I'm there singing so it's it's a special sort of moment oh my gosh that's beautiful I forgot to ask you this question at the start actually this is so random but do you and your kids speak Samoan, Maori, or Croatian? I am embarrassed to say that we speak English. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, English, it's our language, right? We speak it, but it was the goal of ours. We're like, we're going to speak Samoan, and, and my wife has, you know, can speak a couple of the dialects from South Africa. You know, we try to inject words where we can, but none of us are um, fully fluent. Yeah. So it's just a mishmash it's in a your mishmash. house. Of like, <laughs> <laughs> what is this language? <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. You guys can understand it. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> but Baba's been watching Moana a lot and she's, um, even though we're trying to get her off it because it's the first thing that she says in the morning, she's saying, Moana, Moana. And I'm like, no, oh too much God. TV, too much TV. <laughs> That's none of us are called that, babe. No. <laughs> Mummy, daddy. daddy. But she also, uh, the word for tattoo is tatau in Samoan. And so she'll oh. she'll look at my tattoo sometimes and say, tatau, tatau. <gasps> That's so cute. Yeah, they pick up things. Hey? They pick up things real fast and you wonder where. And it's like, okay, it's TV. Too much yeah. TV. Too <laughs> much the TV. devices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, very last question to finish off. I'm a big fan of quotes and I feel like I love to leave our listeners with a quote or a, a mantra that you live by. Do you have something that you you live by? Ooh. Other than Hakuna Matata, <laughs> I feel like that would just be too stereotypical for you. <laughs> kind of what, what I was saying before. I mean, at the start about like it's, ne- it's never over. 
Mm. It's never over. There's always more in the tank. <laughs> that sounds so like. Ooh, more I in love the tank. that one. <laughs> Keep going. No, and I share this one because something happened. I was on um, our version in the New Zealand of You Have It Here. I think it's called I'm a Celebrity Get Out of Here. Oh my gosh, did you do I, it? I did, I did one of those in New Zealand. I did. And I, <gasps> I did amazing. It. Oh, it was an amazing experience. But I, I had a moment. I was in a challenge and I. Um, I was in the challenge. It was an endurance challenge. I was there for about two and a half hours standing, and I, I won the challenge. But there were moments in my mind where I was about to give up. This was about the half an hour mark, and I ended up staying up there for two and a half hours. And Whoa. something happened where I, I just it was a it was almost out of body. I, I I couldn't feel. It was quite painful on my feet. We had to stand on this tower and stand on these pegs, and whoever fell was going to go home. And at about the two-hour mark, I stopped feeling pain, and I just was there. And in my mind, I was like, "I'm going to stay here the whole night. I hope the camera crew are ready." Like, yeah, they don't know what's going to hit them. Yeah, but there, there's Whoa. always more. Like, it's so, you know, people have done it since the beginning of time. You know, we this we're so much more powerful than we think. You were, you were talking about self-doubt before. You know, we, once if you just push past that little barrier. We don't know what your capacity is, what our potential is. So always know that, that there's always more in the tank. But if the light's on orange, go and fill up because your car might break down. Yeah. <laughs> also good advice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Nick, thank you so much for your time. I'm so, so excited for the rest of this season and to see what happens with Rent and to see you take on that role with as much gusto as you have the other two incredible roles that you've you've played so far. So thank you so much for making time in this and using your voice on this as well. So all good. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. I love podcasts and this has been amazing. So all the best and all the best with your your family and Baba coming up. It's beautiful. Well, Nick was definitely our first professional rugby union footballer turned tenor and musical theatre star. But first time everything, I found this one so fascinating. He just seems like such a warm and wonderful person and blew us away on stage in the show. As you guys know, he has another production coming up. I will share links to that, how to get tickets when that eventually goes live. I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. And of course, if it feels right, please do share the episode, tag Nick, tag the show spread the neighborhood love as far and wide as possible. I hope you're all keeping safe and well and relatively stress-free as much as possible as the silly season starts to really get underway. It's such an exciting time of year. Ange and I will be back recording next week for the last couple of episodes of the year. We also have a few Seize the Yay activities. We're doing a Christmas party with literally just the two of us, so that will be a lot of fun. There's, of course, our little bump that's growing on the way, our mini Yay, and if you guys have any more questions, about that following on from our last Q&A episode. We can also answer any of those in the next few years of our lives episodes. So as always, don't forget to shoot us a DM or an email at any time. And in the meantime, I hope you are having a wonderful week and seizing your yay.